it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's business time, baby. You are listening to Solo Monster Sounds Off. It's such good shit. Mama Monster. Conquered! You like fighting a woman? Your behavior just hasn't been very oozy. Oh my God, we're only an hour in. Eric Bischoff is an idiot. We have two more hours of this. Maybe the single stupidest idiot that ever got into wrestling. Who writes this stuff? Bruce? Come over here and fight me! I'm the Sala Monster, damn it. (laughs) This is episode 798 of the Sala Monster Sounds Off for Sunday, March 5th, 2023. I am the Sala Monster, and tonight is AEW Revolution. I've got the updated card with my updated predictions. Uh, and a little something to say about FTR as well, who are not on the show tonight. Chris Jericho says that he has no interest in ever going back to WWE. CM Punk will wrestle again, and he revealed why on Instagram. I also watched the first episode of the new Ring of Honor. I've got some thoughts to share on that. Sonya Deville arrested. I'll talk about why and when it happened. Goldberg says WWE owes him a retirement match. Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes meet face-to-face for the first time. And how an injury may change the Fatal Five-Way on SmackDown this week to crown a new number one contender for the Intercontinental title at WrestleMania. So we have that and more. A lot to dive into. Uh, First, though, Pro Wrestling Tees is currently in the middle of a merch madness sale. Uh, now through Monday, tomorrow, at 1 o'clock Eastern. You get 20% off when you use the code MADNESS23 at checkout. That's all one word, MADNESS23. So not a lot of time left, but we got a bunch of shirts up in the Sound Off store. If you want to get 20% off, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Solomonster sounds off. If you would like to make a PayPal donation, you may do so on the Solomonster.com. $10 or more will get you a nickname and a shout-out. For the Portland pop star Paul Hamilton, Paul, thank you. Big B, Brian Pacera, Killshot, Keith Hart, the Chicago Slayer, Willie Eichard, Velvet Revolver, Robert Murray, John Raging Mad Riffle, New York Punk, Arnold Modesto, Shin Superkick, Akuma, Left Hook, Luke Hyams, the Diamond Dallas Dance Machine, Harrison Soep, Night Stalker, Nayef Alsafar, Thug U, Graduate, Glenn Warnicky. Is reviewing MRE meals on his King's Reviews channel all week. Coming up this week, MREs are ready-to-eat meals that are used by U.S. servicemen and women in combat uh, or field conditions where other food is not available. They're, they've also been used in natural disasters like earthquakes and typhoons. See what I did there? If you've ever wondered what they eat out in the field, check out King's Reviews and learn about some of the menu options that are offered. That's King's Reviews, all one word, on Instagram and on TikTok. And also, I want to give a shout out to Steve Anderson, who co-wrote both of Bobby Heenan's books with The Brain. He has started a new podcast focused on his time with Bobby called Weasel Tales. I love that name. Talking the stories behind the stories. 
and interviews coming soon as well with people who knew Bobby and worked with him. You can check it out on most major podcast platforms. Again, it is called Weasel Tales. And uh, best of luck to Steve with the new endeavor. House of Glory returns to the NYC Arena in Queens this Friday for our With Glory Comes Pride event. So no SmackDown live stream since I'll be working that night. Jacob Fatu defends his HOG World Heavyweight Championship against No Days Off. Fred Rosser, the former New Japan Strong Openweight Champion, making his House of Glory debut. Kushida will be making his HOG debut against Low Key. And Max the Impaler is coming in to challenge the Ultraviolet for the Hog Women's Championship. The Bookers will challenge main event. For the Hog Tag Team titles, Mighty Monte defends the Cruiserweight title against Encore. And more to be announced this week. Tickets are still available at HOGWrestling.net. And I hope to see some of you there on Friday. Now let's kick things off here with AEW. Uh, Since we do have a pay-per-view tonight, AEW Revolution is live tonight from the Chase Center in San Francisco. Tony Khan tweeted on Friday, This is one of the best weekends of the year. AEW Revolution Sunday in San Francisco. And Friday night, AEW Rampage. And then Countdown to Revolution tonight on TNT. 2023 will be the biggest year yet for AEW. I have major announcements coming soon that are important to AEW and our fans. More major announcements. I'm still recovering from the last major announcement. I don't think I can take any more major announcements. But here's the card tonight uh, with my updated predictions. The zero-hour pre-show has a trios match with Mark Briscoe, Penta, and Ray Phoenix taking on Ari Davari, Josh Woods, and Tony Nese. Easy win for Briscoe and the Lucha Bros. Jungle Boy takes on Christian Cage. That was officially added to the main card on Wednesday in what was originally advertised as a no-holds-barred match. I thought they were teasing a Buried Alive match. After Jungle Boy showed a headstone over a grave he was digging with Christian's name on it. On Rampage on Friday night, Jungle Boy from a cemetery somewhere, he responded to Christian's promo from Wednesday. Where he ran down Jungle Boy and his his late father. He told Christian, since you're such a big fan of my dad, I'm going to give you a chance to say hi to him. When I put you in the ground. Jesus. That's a hell of a line. So it will now be what they are calling a final burial match, which is their version of a buried alive match. This is the match I am actually looking forward to the most on the show tonight, and I predict a win for Jungle Boy. Unless the dinosaur crawls out of the grave and and he drags Jungle Boy down with him, uh, this should be Jungle Boy's revenge for all the shots that Christian has taken at his family and his father. Uh, Jungle Boy is my pick. Chris Jericho. Goes one-on-one with Ricky Starks with the Jericho Appreciation Society. Banned from ringside. Ricky should win here. I think they need to make it clear that first win on TV was not a fluke. My original pick last Sunday was Jericho, but with the caveat that it depended on what they did with him on Dynamite. Uh, He ended up beating Peter Avalon Wednesday in a quick match, and then he and the JAS, they left Starks laying. After the match was over. So I feel more confident about a Ricky Starks win than I did a week ago. So I'm picking Ricky Starks. The Gun Club. Defend their AEW Tag Team titles in a four-way match against the Acclaimed. Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. And the winners of the Casino Battle Royale. 
on Wednesday. Orange Cassidy and Danhausen. That tag team battle royal was awful. Uh, this match should be good. I assume the reason Tony Khan added the other two teams was to give an out to the acclaimed by sparing them the loss and having Danhausen most likely eat the pin. Assuming this is not an elimination match, which I don't believe it is. Uh, I had the guns retaining regardless. That hasn't changed. I still think they're holding on to the championships. If FTR does end up coming back, they've got a ready-made match waiting with the guns because it was Austin and Colton who threw a funeral for FTR on television. So that would make sense. But speaking of FTR, I said I had something to say about FTR. Dax Harwood has been very outspoken on his podcast. And it is his show. He can be as opinionated as he wants to be. But I think he needs to be careful. Uh, AEW was tweeting out congratulations to various people this past week, including Tony Khan, on their victories, their wins, in this year's Wrestling Observer Newsletter Awards, which which is always a fun time of year to watch people melt down, uh, either not realizing or just ignoring the fact that Dave does not actually vote on the winners himself. Uh, it is the readers that vote. I think even he would agree, for example, that WWE winning worst promotion of the year when you have the NWA and control your narrative on that same list is just beyond parody. Uh, yeah, the promotion that made Tyrus its world heavyweight champion. For that alone, winning anything other than worst promotion invalidates the entire list. But the AEW account congratulated Tony Khan and others for winning various awards. And Dax wrote on Twitter, Tell us April is coming up without telling us that April is coming up. Or, or something to that effect. April being when their contracts are up with AEW. All because the AEW account had not yet acknowledged FTR. Even as people were writing back to Dax to tell him, hey, look, it's an automatic thing where every hour it's posting new congratulations. You know, they were post because the AEW account was posting about the awards, but it was like every hour on the hour or something. And so people were telling him to calm down and be patient. And then later on, they congratulated the Briscoes for winning feud of the year, and they made no mention of the other team in that feud, that being FTR. And this upset Dax, who admitted on his podcast that he was being a crybaby about it, and said that he screenshotted every award that they posted. This is how the man is spending his spare time, with his time off, screenshotting every Wrestling Observer Newsletter award graphic that the AEW account had tweeted out. He said, I had a feeling we weren't going to get mentioned because, like I said, we have reached out and said, hey, we will come back and work until our contracts are up. We're okay with it. We took a couple of months off to let our bodies heal, to think about what we wanted to do. So we've made it known that we will gladly come back at the very least until our contracts are up or until we can come to some middle ground or not and leave. But I haven't necessarily heard anything back. I had a feeling they were not very happy with us. Yeah, I'm starting to see why. You know, FTR, they were the coolest guys in the room in 2022. They were super over, ton of fan support. The quickest way to wash all that away is to have the fans start looking at FTR as a bunch of whiny babies. That is the opposite of cool. It might just cool them off if they keep doing that. And I keep saying they. It's not they, it's him. That's the other thing. It's Dax who's been saying all these things, not Cash. Cash keeps his mouth shut. He stays out of it. 
When you're in a tag team, you need to be mindful that if you get heat on yourself, you're getting heat on your partner as well. Now, if this is all a work, I don't see what it accomplishes. I think it's stupid. And if it's not a work, and this is how he really feels, I don't see how it benefits the team to be so public about these things when you should be having that conversation with Tony Khan, if that's the way you feel. Samoa Joe defends the TNT Championship against Wardlow. This was always designed for Wardlow to come back and get his revenge. This is where he takes the TNT title back. And I hope for his sake, his second run is better than the first. We had Powerhouse Hobbs on Wednesday winning the Face of the Revolution ladder match, which got bumped off the pay-per-view to television because of the Iron Man match and concerned that there there wouldn't be enough time. Uh, so I was happy to see Hobbs get the win. Hobbs winning makes sense if Wardlow's going over. Because then Wardlow wins the championship and we get Wardlow and Hobbs as the feud coming out of Revolution. That I don't know if they want to do it sooner, but that could be the TNT title match for Double or Nothing. Thing is, Double or Nothing is a long ways away. So uh, I don't think they're going to wait that long, but... Uh, it makes sense if Wardlow is winning here, which I think he is. Jamie Hayter defends the AEW Women's Championship in a three-way dance against Soraya and Ruby Soho. Soraya has not wrestled much since her debut, but her run so far has been a disappointment, in and out of the ring. It's been very underwhelming. This is going to be a real test for Soraya. Her first championship match in seven years. Uh, this is the biggest spotlight for Ruby since she came back from her injury. Jamie, I think, is killing it in every match that she's in. She's not losing that title, but I always look forward to her matches. Jamie Hayter is going to retain the AEW Women's title. John Moxley, one-on-one with Hangman Adam Page in a Texas death match. Hangman beat Moxley last month. Moxley came back and beat him a few weeks ago. Moxley addressed all of this in his promo on Wednesday, which was one of the highlights of the entire show. Uh, I thought that Moxley, that, that Moxley promo in the staircase, you know, still bleeding after Dynamite the week before, was a tremendous piece of business. And he said, you know, remember, Hangman, you wanted this. I tried to leave it alone. I beat you once. I sent you to the hospital. They said it didn't count. It was an accident. And I got no credit for it. Then you beat me. I come back from a concussion of my own, my worst injury in years, and then I beat you again. You come back from the same injury and they give you flowers for it. I didn't get nothing. They told me my second win over you was a fluke, that it doesn't count. He said, I agree. I got beat by a wrestling move that I learned in the seventh grade. And he put Hangman over. He said, Hangman, look, you're a great wrestler. You're even a great man. But you are not the same animal as me. There's only one room, or room for one, I should say, one of these animals in AEW, and I will die to protect what's mine. He says this while the blood is dripping all over the steps and the staircase. I thought it was the perfect final salvo before the big match. We didn't need a contract signing. We didn't need another pull-apart brawl. We get enough of those. Just two strong promos heading into tonight. Hangman's was good too later in the show, but Moxley's was the better of the two. That was the money promo. But he's not winning tonight. Uh, That win is going to Hangman. Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks defend their AEW World Trios titles against the House of Black. The build for this match before Wednesday had consisted of some spooky videos and the Elite playing basketball. On Wednesday, the House of Black laid out the Elite with the lights out and then stole their Trios titles. Then later in the show, we got another spooky vignette where they each left the belts laying on the floor, I guess in the back somewhere. 
So I'm not sure what the point of stealing them was, other than symbolism, I suppose. We can take these away from you anytime we want. Not as much hype for this as I think there should have been. It's the biggest possible trios match this company could do. But once the bell rings, I think it's going to be incredible. And I think the House of Black needs to win. I think they will. I think we're going to have new trios champions. Even even if they just play hot potato and they trade the belts back and forth in two or three matches, that would still be more interesting than just keeping them on the elite. And in the main event... It is a 60-minute Iron Man match for the AEW World Championship. MJF defends against the American Dragon, Brian Danielson. If Danielson had his way, they would be going on first to open the show. He told Sports Illustrated he goes to bed really early, and they're on the West Coast tonight. So wrestling at 5 o'clock suits his personality, he says. More than wrestling at 8 o'clock, says uh, Old Man Danielson. Not many guys in his position would argue to go on first instead of to go on last, but I kind of understand it, you know, the going to bed early thing aside. These AEW shows are usually so stacked with big matches. This this show's actually less stacked than the typical show. They've had pay-per-views before with 10, 12, 13 matches, and it's it's like pulling an all-nighter. So this card is actually not quite as as bloated as some of those other cards are because of the main event, because of the Iron Man match. But if you think about it, like these AEW pay-per-views, they end up going so late and you can wear out the crowd, right? We have a Texas death match on this card that you know is going to be bloody and violent. That's a hard thing to have to follow, you know, let alone for 60 minutes. So there, there's probably something to that, you know, wanting to open the show and not close it. And if MJF is going to go over, I don't really see the harm in it, to be honest. Not that I think it's going to happen, but I, I wouldn't see the harm in it. This has been the best story and the biggest program on AEW television. MJF has been forcing Brian to jump through hoops to get his match, which is not you know unusual for MJF. He does this with every opponent, really since AEW started, going back to his match with Cody. I think MJF is going to be up three falls to two, heading into the final moments I think he hangs on just long enough to run out the clock and to retain the title. There's no way that he drops that title in only his second defense. Now, MJF was in the news yesterday. Sean Ross Sapp says that one WWE talent said MJF outright said to them, I look forward to being there next year. And word of him saying that has traveled to others in the WWE locker room that's exactly the sort of thing I would expect MJF to say. It's MJF. Consider the source. I would not put any stock into anything that he says right now. Uh, I would be stunned if Tony Khan brought him back and put the world title on him without signing him to at least some sort of extension, if not a brand new deal. I would be stunned. And it's like I said in my predictions at the beginning of the year, AEW is going to lean into the whole bidding war of 2024 story the closer we get to the end of this year with the idea that if he's still the champion, he might leave and take the title with him and go to WWE. They're going to make a storyline out of that. But there's no way he got that title and, and his contract is up on January 1st. This is just MJF being MJF. I would not read too much into this. Of course, people will. But I would not be reading too much into this here in March. So I will be live on YouTube. After the show tonight for the full review, join me there. You get two podcasts for the price of one. It's a good thing they're free. 
Although uh, it's always nice to get your PayPal's and your Super Chats. It just reaffirms to me that I must be doing something right. So I thank you for that. We now have a uh, premiere date for the new AEW all-access reality show that's going to be airing after Dynamite. The first episode will air on March 29th. It's going to be running for six weeks. The show will follow Adam Cole, Britt Baker, Sammy Guevara, Ty Mello, Eddie Kingston, The Young Bucks, Wardlow, Soraya, and Tony Khan. That also means that Adam Cole will be making his in-ring return that night on Dynamite. Uh, They dropped a 60-second trailer for the new show, it looks like an AEW version of Total Divas. Yeah, whether that's a good thing to you or a bad thing depends on your personal taste, I guess. But it looks like they're going to blur that line of kayfabe in reality. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chris Jericho, in an interview with the Daily Star in the Great, uh, in the great Britain... In Great Britain, uh, not to be confused with the Great Britain, claimed that he has zero interest in ever returning to WWE. And he commented on the idea of retiring in AEW by saying this. He says, I don't hold a torch for WWE. Uh, to me, that's not the place to be. AEW is the place to be. It really is. I've been in WWE. I know how it works. They work that way. I don't care if Vince is there, Hunter is there, or whoever is there. They have a way of doing things and I was there for 20 years, and I was pretty good at it. I like the way we do things at AEW better. So I don't know why I wouldn't want to finish my career in AEW. I never thought that I wouldn't finish my career with WWE, but things happened, and I was just like, I want to go to Japan and do this match. And it opened up this whole new world for me. It was like, oh my gosh, this is the fun side of wrestling again. Business is business, and there's always ups and downs, but I have zero interest in ever going back to WWE. That's not out of bitterness or anger. I love Vince, and I love Hunter and all the people there, but I just really dig AEW. I I have a stake in the game. I came here right out of the gate. I was the guy. Besides Jim Ross, there was nobody that had really been on television on a national basis other than me. I take great pride in that. I started here. Why would I want to walk away? There's so much more that we can do. The sense of accomplishment is massive. Jericho will be back in WWE one day when he goes into the Hall of Fame. He will be back when he goes into the Hall, I guarantee it. But he seems content to stay where he is for the foreseeable future. He signed an an extension with them last fall. Uh, It's going to keep him in AEW at least through the early part of 2026. So he is committed, you know, in the long term to staying where he is. Supposedly, he was being paid $3 million a year on his last contract. And he's 
making more on the, on the new deal than he was the last one. And like the deal that John Moxley signed, he's going to be taking on additional responsibilities behind the scenes as a producer and a creative advisor for Tony Khan. When the brawl out stuff happened in September, two names that we heard about who really stepped up as a positive influence and a leading locker room force were John Moxley and Chris Jericho. So he obviously takes that role very seriously, and he he's a proud man, and he seems content to uh, stay where he is. And why would he leave after everything I just said? The money he's making, the responsibilities he has, the freedom he has, right? Why why leave? It feels like he's got his run of the place. Tony obviously values his input. Jericho can pretty much work with whoever he wants. He's already surrounded himself with two different factions. He can work indies. Right, he popped up in PWG last month. He could do New Japan if he wants to, which he would not be able to do any of that in WWE. I mean, he—I know it's a new era there now, but again, there's there's a lot of things he can do and get away with in AEW that he would not be able to do in WWE. When his current deal is up, he will be 55 years old, which does not make it impossible to envision him having another big match in WWE, maybe a WrestleMania match. But it makes it very unlikely he'll ever have another run there again at that age. You know, he's not going to be a free agent at 55 or, you know, sign one more contract and he'll be 58. And then he's going to have, what's he going to have, a full-time run in WWE? Those days are over. That's not going to happen. But he will definitely be back for a Hall of Fame induction. Jericho also did an interview with the In The Click podcast, talking about one of the young stars he helped mentor in AEW, the reigning AEW world champion, MJF. He said that he and MJF worked together for a year, and MJF then was not the MJF that he is now. He said, working with me for a year helped him become the MJF to get to the next level. All of that is done by design in my head. So there you have it. MJF would not be where he is today were it not for the wisdom of Chris Jericho. I have no doubt that Jericho imparted a lot of wisdom on young Maxwell. Jericho's been around a long time. He's very successful. Been very successful. Uh, Wouldn't be where he is if he was not successful. But I think MJF would have been just fine. I I think he'd be right where he is now, even without the work that he did in that program with Chris Jericho. And Mark Henry was on Busted Open Radio discussing a potential CM Punk Return to AEW. He said that he would bring Punk back to the company, wouldn't even request an apology from him, just an acknowledgement that grown men will disagree and that Punk shouldn't have made those disagreements public and that they won't happen again. Sounds to me like an apology. <laughs> but according to Mark Henry, it's not an apology. He said that Punk should acknowledge that he won't let his personal feelings or concerns interfere with AEW business again. Because the reality is that AEW is better with Punk around. So that got posted on Instagram. You know, because on Instagram, when there's a quote, some of these wrestling Instagram pages will just put a screenshot of the quote. So one of them quoted what Mark Henry said. And a fan responded in the comments saying, Keep Punk retired. Well, CM Punk saw this. I assume Punk was tagged in the tweet, which is why he saw it. CM Punk responded to this comment and he wrote you liked your own comment bold i will wrestle again just to upset you you will watch no matter where 
So there's your confirmation. CM Punk will return to wrestle again, but he will only do so out of spite. That's the best way to do things. You do things out of spite, right? It gives you great satisfaction. I can vouch for this. TMZ broke the news on Wednesday that WWE star Sonya Deville was arrested in New Jersey on a gun possession charge two weeks ago. The incident happened on February 19th at the Borgata Hotel Casino and Spa in Atlantic City where she was out celebrating her engagement with her fiancé. She had just proposed to her girlfriend a few days before this. The valet discovered the firearm after her ticket was misplaced and the worker opened the glove compartment of her car to verify that it was in fact her car, at which point the valet noticed the gun and called the police, who arrived on the scene. They took her into custody without incident. She has been charged with one count of unlawful weapon possession, a handgun without a permit. The problem is the carry permit that she has for the gun is valid in Florida. Uh, but not in the state of New Jersey. New Jersey evidently is one of the strictest states in the entire country when it comes to concealed carry licenses. And she's from New Jersey. So there's no excuse for her not to know (laughs) that New Jersey is one of the strictest states when it comes to this stuff. If she's walking around carrying a deadly weapon, you know, with the laws being what they are in that state, she should have been aware of that. Uh, do, I mean, I, like, I heard this and I'm just thinking, like, do they not have classes that you have to take? Or, or safety training of some kind before you can carry. Because if not, they should. Especially since different states have different laws. Uh, she only started carrying the gun after that whack job stalker tried to kidnap her in that home invasion a few years ago. Uh, if you remember that, and we cover, you know, covered it on the podcast at the time, you know, what she went through was terrifying. You know, this guy broke into her house. He was carrying a knife, mace, plastic zip ties, duct tape. That was after stalking and harassing her for years on social media. She has good reason to want to protect herself. I can't fault her for that at all. There's said to be no heat on her within WWE, nor should there be. I'm sure they understand the situation. But it could turn out to be a costly mistake, because I wonder now if she might not be able to carry it all after this. Uh, and legally, you know, legally, it's not a guarantee that she'll walk away from this unscathed. You know, it reminds me of the uh, Plaxico Burris case years ago. He used to play for the Giants. He was out at a nightclub in the city one night. He accidentally shot himself in the thigh. The pistol in his pocket, I think it was like sliding down his leg. And he went to grab it. He accidentally pulled the trigger and shot himself. Uh, the gun wasn't licensed in New York. You know, like with Sonya, he was also licensed in the state of Florida, except his license had expired. It's kind of a big difference there. But it wouldn't have mattered either way. Again, he shouldn't have had the gun in New York. And he did time. I I think he did a couple of years in prison. Uh, Again, a little bit different because the gun actually went off in this case, and he could have killed somebody. And I think they also found a second gun when they searched his house. But, you know, you, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. If she gets a decent lawyer, she'll probably be okay. I don't see her doing hard time like Dominic did. Uh, but she needs to be smartened up about where she can and cannot carry that thing. You know, especially when you have parking attendants rummaging through people's glove boxes. Endeavor, the parent company of UFC, held its earnings call this week. And during that call, CEO Ari Emanuel was asked about the possibility of Endeavor buying WWE. This is what he had to say. As it relates to WWE, it's an unbelievable product. Vince has created a great business. 
We've had a long-standing relationship with them over two decades. We are doing, as I indicated, the on-location business with them, the Endeavor streaming with them. You know, his business is really valuable, but we're not going to do anything as it relates to changing our leverage position right now. Earlier in that same call, they talked about uh, deleveraging their debt. So the implication is that they're not going to make any moves to rack up additional debt, which they would be doing by spending billions to buy WWE. Remember, Vince McMahon wants $9 billion for his company. So without directly saying so, it sounds like Endeavor is out of the running to buy WWE. That's after David Faber told Nick Khan on CNBC a few weeks ago that Comcast uh, appears to be unlikely to buy WWE. So if Comcast is out and Endeavor is out, and none of this, by the way, is, is for sure, but it sounds like they are probably out of the running With each company that drops out, it becomes more and more likely for as much money as Vince is looking to sell this thing for that the Saudis may end up with WWE after all. And I start to think, I start to wonder if the fix is in and Vince already has a deal worked out with Saudi Arabia. He's just going through the motions right now, bringing in JP Morgan as their financial advisor and all of this stuff to make it look like they're doing their due diligence and they're giving others a chance to get in. I wouldn't be surprised if he secretly worked out a deal with them already. He's the majority shareholder. He can do what he wants. And they're just waiting until after WrestleMania to make it official. Maybe they're waiting until May. They're going to be back in Saudi Arabia at the end of May for their King and Queen of the Ring pay-per-view. Seems like that would be a fine time for them to make the announcement. You know, my boy Fawaz, by the way, he's got something planned for that show. Every Saudi show, he's in the crowd, he's on camera, he's repping the sound off. I think he's got something big planned for the uh, King of the Ring in May. But anyway, that's the update on the sale situation with WWE. Now let me talk about uh, Bill Goldberg. Bill Goldberg was interviewed by Sports Illustrated about a possible return to the ring for one more match. He did this while promoting his latest appearance on the Goldbergs sitcom on ABC. And he said that WWE owes him one. They owe him a retirement match. He said, at 56, it's not something where I'm sitting by the phone waiting for a call. I've got a few ideas of how to do it on my own, possibly in Israel. So never say never. First of all, WWE does not owe him shit. Literally, they don't owe him any more matches on his contract. But I guess his contract length is still active, so he can't technically signed with anybody else right now. But they don't owe him a damn thing. They paid this man very well for a handful of matches. They even put the championship on him. Made his son part of a storyline. His son got to see his father wrestle live for the first time in his life, right? That was like a dream come true for him. WWE does not owe Goldberg a damn thing. But if he wants a retirement match... WWE's not going to let somebody else make money off that. They're not going to let Tony Khan make money off that. They're going to want to be the ones to promote it. And if Goldberg were to have one last match, Braun Breaker would be the right opponent. Right? I have people always telling me, oh, what do you think about Big E? It should be Big E because Big E is always putting over Goldberg. He was a huge Goldberg fan when he was a kid. Right? He, he's, he would love to wrestle Goldberg. The same Big E who broke his neck and may never wrestle again. You want him in the ring taking a jackhammer from Goldberg? And the award for world's worst idea goes to... You do Braun Breaker. Goldberg, back in the ring with a Steiner. 
He's got some history with that family. Have him put the kid over on his way out and on Braun's way out. People say, you really think Goldberg's going to do the job? Maybe Goldberg in his last match wants to go out a winner. Goldberg, it's not like he hasn't done jobs before. He hasn't won every single match that he's in. He's He's won matches and he's lost matches. In this case, he would lose. Because Braun Breaker is going to be on the main roster probably not long after Stand and Deliver. Because I think he's losing that title to Carmelo Hayes. And at that point, maybe he sticks around for a rematch, but there really isn't much left for Braun Breaker to do in NXT. Right? They put the championship on him. He's held it for a long time. They wanted to test him and see how he handles the pressure of being in a top spot. You know, he's had some good, you know, some matches better than others, but he's had some very good matches. And if they're looking for an attraction for SummerSlam, let's say at Ford Field, or if they waited for next year's WrestleMania, WrestleMania 40, they want an attraction, Goldberg's last stand, that would be the place to do it. And Goldberg goes out on his back. He had no problem losing to big names like Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns. Let him put over a new guy for once. You know, he and Braun physically have a lot of similarities. Braun's got that explosiveness that Goldberg had when he first debuted. That's the way that I would do it. You know, the SummerSlam match that Goldberg had with Dolph Ziggler a few years ago, that would have been the perfect way for him to go out and look like the Goldberg of old. He looked like a fucking monster in that match. Then he had, you know, he had that awful match before that where he almost killed The Undertaker. So the match with Dolph was like a nice palate cleanser. And Dolph, I mean, he God, he sold that spear like death. It really felt like a Goldberg squash of old. Braun's got one of his own, by the way. He's, he's also got a spear that he uses in his matches. Let him be the one to put down Big Bill once and for all. And while you're at it, bring in Bret Hart to be the guest ring announcer. He can give Bill the same kind of introduction that Pat Patterson gave Steve Austin for his over-the-edge match with Dude Love. I would be sports entertained. Raw on Monday night was the worst kind of show. It was a boring show. A boring three hours of television that had a couple of things that I liked. The VIP lounge with Brock Lesnar was not one of them. Brock Lesnar was on the show to accept the challenge of Omos to a match at WrestleMania. Omos was not there. Brock had MVP pitch him on the match. Sell me, sell me on this great idea that you have. And MVP did the sell job and Brock accepted. And to celebrate, Brock drank some moonshine from his flask. And when he offered some to MVP, he spat it back in Brock's face. And Brock left him laying with an F5. Wrestle Votes on Wednesday. That was on Monday. Wrestle Votes on Wednesday tweeted that the highly anticipated, very compelling Brock Lesnar versus Omos WrestleMania match was the idea of one specific powerful person who pushed it through and in the tweet they included a Vince McMahon gif this reeked of Vince McMahon from the moment that it was teased especially when you consider how little of Omos we've seen on television since Triple H took over as the head of creative he's kept Omos largely off off the show altogether all of a sudden he's wrestling Brock Lesnar at Wrestlemania Under Vince McMahon, Omos, he got a tag team title run with AJ Styles. He got a three-match program last year with Bobby Lashley. Since Triple H took over, he's been guarding the turkey platter and catering. So it's not hard to imagine this being a Vince McMahon idea. I could easily see Vince McMahon making the suggestion to Triple H after his other plans fell through for Brock Lesnar, which I'm going to talk about in a second. 
you know, Triple H has admitted that he does talk to Vince still about creative, and Vince McMahon makes suggestions, but he says, ultimately, I have the final say. It could have been a Vince McMahon suggestion, and Triple H decided, you know what, my other plan fell through. I need a new opponent for Brock Lesnar. This is not a hill that's worth dying on. I will give the old man what he wants, and maybe he'll keep his hands off the rest of the card. I think Lesnar against Omos is a Triple H concession to Vince McMahon to make him happy and keep him from meddling in the rest of the WrestleMania card. And if that's the case, I can't say that I blame him. He knows the match is not going to go very long, probably five minutes tops. I think the entrances with that long aisleway are probably going to be longer than the actual match itself. It'll be the kids' match. Brock Lesnar is for the kids. Where they'll get to see him pick up the giant and give him an F5. Yay! So, yeah. Brock Lesnar for the kids this year. Sean Ross Sapp had a report on Fightful that Bray Wyatt was pitched to Brock Lesnar as an opponent for WrestleMania, and Brock Lesnar rejected the idea. Not only did he reject the idea, but the plan was for Lesnar against Wyatt as late as the day of Elimination Chamber, and then it got changed from Brock Lesnar winning to Bobby Lashley winning, and they came up with that lame finish for the match that they came up with. What did I say last week? I, I said it in jest, but I said Brock kicked Lashley in the dick and he got himself intentionally disqualified so that he didn't have to wrestle Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania. <laughs> and it sounds like that's exactly what happened. Omos was the backup, which was probably a Vince idea, and Triple H said fine. Omos was the backup of the backup because Brock Lesnar originally was pitched many months ago a match with Stone Cold Steve Austin. And Austin turned it down. I can't blame Brock for not wanting a program with Bray Wyatt. He saw the pitch black match at the Royal Rumble and all the segments with Uncle Howdy and the puppets. And he said, fuck that. I don't want to have anything to do with that. How much does Brock Lesnar have to hate Bray Wyatt, by the way, to agree to a match instead with Omos over him? (laughs) I think that says a lot. He probably figures, look, I won't have to deal with all the Hocus Pocus stuff, and instead I could just go in there, I can work a five-minute match, hit an F5, and fly back to Saskatchewan before the show is even over. I wouldn't be surprised if he asked that they put him on first, so he can get home quicker. That left Bobby Lashley to watch Bray doing the Muscle Man dance on the Titan Tron, because now Bobby gets Bray at WrestleMania. We still have yet to see Bray Wyatt work an actual match, an actual wrestling match, since he came back five months ago. It'll be six months by the time we get to WrestleMania, not counting the Rave Club match at the Royal Rumble. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On SmackDown Friday night, Bobby Lashley showed up to call out Bray. But he got Uncle Howdy instead. And Lashley put down Howdy Duty with a spine buster. Then the lights went out. And when they came back on, Howdy was gone. And no Bray Wyatt to be found on the show at all. What had been for a while... The most intriguing stuff on SmackDown week to week outside of the bloodline angle has become the worst thing on SmackDown every week because nothing ever happens. Nothing happens. What is there to be excited about? You know, the white rabbit stuff, not not everybody was into it, but a lot of people were. I was into it. It was engaging. It was interesting to follow along. It was starting to get a little long in the tooth there at the end. It was like, all right, enough already. But You know, the clues had people engaged. It was a huge, hugely successful campaign. Triple H supposedly is going to be doing more of that kind of stuff in the future. So at least there was something to keep the fans engaged week to week. What does this mean? You know, is it Bray? Is it somebody else? Oh, wait, there's a QR code. Like There was all these different things that were going on. What is there to be interested in with the Bray Wyatt stuff right now? It's the same nonsensical stuff every week, over and over and over. And feuding with Bobby Lashley is not going to change that. Bray Wyatt, basically, he exists in his own little universe on these shows. He's doing his own story. It doesn't even matter who he's feuding with. You know, first it was L.A. Knight. Now it's Lashley. Because Brock wanted nothing to do with any of this. It's just, it's plug and play. You could put anybody in there. It doesn't matter. Their story doesn't matter. They're just stepping into the fun house with Bray. If Bray wants to be an actor, then Bray should be an actor. It's still a wrestling show. You need to wrestle. There should be some sort of goal in mind for why this man came back. Why did Bray Wyatt come back? Did he come back to win the championship that Roman Reigns stole from him? What's his mission statement? We don't know. It's all riddles And it's all spooky mystery with questions that go unanswered. We don't know. It's been over five months and I'm still wondering why Bray gets in the ring at all when he actually does. Why is he here? I've said before, I think Bray would do very well doing horror films. He's got one coming out soon, in fact, that he filmed before he came back. But after five months, you know, shit or get off the pot already. Every time I think they're going to give us something, we get nothing. You know, there's an old Married with Children episode where Al takes a road trip with the family on Labor Day. They go in the mighty Dodge, and they get in the car, and they hit the road, and they get stuck in traffic. And they're just sitting there for hours. They're not moving. Nothing is happening. And when it looks like the traffic up ahead is finally starting to move, they all get back in the car. He puts the car in drive, and he moves a whopping six inches. And there they continue to sit. That's how I feel about Bray Wyatt on SmackDown. At this point, I I don't care if they reveal Uncle Howdy to be Bo Dallas or Diamond Dallas Page. As long as they give us something. Because this shit sucks. One of the things I liked about the show on Monday was the match with Cody Rhodes and Chad Gable. That's two weeks in a row that Gable got a lot of offense on someone I did not expect him to. First it was Bronson Reed, now Cody. Uh, He's still losing matches, but it, it gives me hope. That if the partnership with Otis comes to an end, Triple H may have plans to do more with Chad Gable. You know, him wrestling Cody is interesting because a couple of years ago, there were reports of certain talents on the AEW roster 
wanting to push for Gable to come into the company when his WWE deal was up. I wouldn't be surprised if Cody was one of those talents pushing for him to come in or hoping to, you know, bring him into AEW. He certainly would have been in a position to push for it as one of the EVPs. I thought the two of them had a very good match. Becky Lynch and Lita, they are the new women's tag team champions, beating Damage Control with a little bit of help from the returning Trish Stratus, who ran out to stop Bailey from interfering in the match. Uh, there was a scheduled match that got changed on Friday from Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler against Natty and Tegan Knox to just Shayna against Tegan, one-on-one, uh, with Ronda and Natty outside the ring in their corners. They did an injury angle beforehand with Ronda having been assaulted off-camera by Tegan, and she was holding her arm, and when she came out, Ronda had her arm in a sling. She didn't take any bumps. She didn't get physical. Wade Keller of the Pro Wrestling Torch says that Ronda aggravated a prior injury, but it is not something expected to upset their WrestleMania plans for her. And if that's the case, I'm still predicting uh, Becky and Lita defending their titles against Damage Control and Ronda and Shayna in a triple threat, and you do Trish Stratus one-on-one with Bailey in a singles match. WWE had what they claimed were 15,000 fans in the building for SmackDown on Friday, and their internal live event report called it the highest-grossing SmackDown or Raw event in Washington, D.C. in the history of the company. They sold out last night, I think, in Toronto, with a Roman Reigns-Sami Zayn rematch added as the new main event. That moved a lot of tickets uh, late. And with the return of John Cena, tomorrow's Raw in Boston looks to be a sellout, or pretty close to it. They're going to have over 11,000 people in the building. WWE is the hot ticket right now, which is good for them, given that they're heading into their biggest show of the year. This is when you would want to peak. This is when you would want business to be hot. Uh, this is shaping up, coming up, to be a very big week as far as advancing their plans and their stories for WrestleMania. You got Cena on Raw tomorrow night being confronted, I'm sure, by Austin Theory. Logan Paul is going to be on the show to confront Seth Rollins, so I would expect those two matches to become official. Uh, Roman Reigns has put Jay Uso on notice, both Usos actually, that Jay better be there on Friday or else he's going to hold Jimmy responsible. Meanwhile, Sami Zayn challenged Jimmy to a match on Raw tomorrow night. Kevin Owens is going to be on Raw wrestling solo Sokoa. This may also be the week Rey Mysterio finally grows a sack. And hits back against his son after all the abuse that he's been taking. And we're getting a fatal five-way match uh, on Friday to crown the number one contender for Gunther's Intercontinental title at WrestleMania. But I want to talk about the Roman and Cody face-off. Because for the first time since Cody Rhodes won the Royal Rumble match, we got our first in-ring confrontation. The first meeting between Roman Reigns and Cody Rhodes on SmackDown Friday night. Roman sent the bloodline away. It was just the two of them in the ring. And I thought they did a great job of building up this first face-to-face with the two of them, making it feel like a big deal. The fans treated it like a big deal. And seeing these two finally in the ring together, it felt like, okay, we got ourselves a WrestleMania main event here. They didn't give too much away. There was no need for them to. They didn't touch other than the handshake at the very end. They gave us just enough to make an introduction between these two. And have Roman Reigns remind us what Paul Heyman told Cody on Raw a few weeks ago about his dad looking to Roman like the son that he never had but wishes he did. Because Dusty did help Roman on his way up in developmental. That's part of the story. Now they have gone heavy on the Dusty Road stuff in Cody's promos. And people kind of poke fun at Cody for it. 
but the story is dusty. This is the this is the point that some people are are missing or they're ignoring. The whole story is dusty. Not everything that Cody is always going to do in WWE going forward is going to revolve around Dusty Rhodes. Dusty casts a very big shadow over Cody. It's unavoidable. But the moment that Cody got in the ring the night after WrestleMania last year and told us the story and put the picture up on the screen of his dad holding up the title that they then took away from him in Madison Square Garden, that became the story. It is going after the championship that his father never won. So I don't have a problem with them bringing up Dusty. But in the future, I do think they need to focus on other aspects of of Cody's story, such as him leaving WWE. You know, Cody had a little comment he made in his promo on Friday about how people have always doubted him and told him, you can't do this, you're never going to amount to that. And everybody keeps moving the goalposts. And he alluded to the Dave Meltzer tweet from many years ago that was the genesis for Cody and the Bucks getting together in the all-in pay-per-view and putting 10,000 people in a building in Chicago. He made reference to him and his buddies doing that. They don't even have to bring up the initials AEW, but they can tell that story. And in the future, you have you know Roman Reigns claiming you left because you couldn't hang. You went off to go play with your buddies somewhere else because you weren't good enough to be in my spot. Make it part of the story, right? Everybody knows where Cody left and went and where he came from. And he came back because, you know, Roman can say, because even in your eyes, you know you needed to be here. This is the place to be because you have unfinished business and this is what you want. He can point to the title. So referencing Dusty is fine. It's the story, but I think they need to also expand the story a little bit uh, in the weeks to come. And I think they will. But I thought as the first confrontation, I thought this was great stuff and it had a, a, a big fight feel to it. Speaking of big fight feel, one person who always has a big fight feel is Gunther. And they took steps to kind of uh, give us a, a taste of what's to come at WrestleMania when it comes to the Intercontinental Championship. Drew McIntyre had already challenged Gunther to a match at WrestleMania. And he came out and he did it again and he called out Gunther. He got Sheamus instead. And Sheamus was pissed. And Sheamus said, how can you do me like that? How can you go behind my back? You know how much that title means to me. You know 15 years in this company, and that title is the one title that has eluded me, and you went behind my back to do this. I thought we were friends. I thought we were brothers. And he got really hot about it. And Drew shot back at him and said, look, since we're telling the truth here, and you're calling me a backstabbing bastard, you know, you've had the chance twice, and you have failed twice to win that championship. Now it's my time. And then it devolved into the usual, you know, old WWE segment. How many times have we seen Raw open over the years like this uh, in the Vince McMahon era with the parade of people coming out and interrupting? We end up with five or six people. So LA Knight came out and he wants a shot at the title. The New Day came out. They made fun of LA Knight. Then we had Karrion Cross come out with Scarlet. So it erupted into a whole brawl where L.A. Knight knocked New Day out of the ring, and then L.A. Knight got knocked out of the ring by Sheamus, and Drew did a dive out over the top rope onto L.A. Knight in the New Day. And then Karrion Cross posted Sheamus' shoulder first in the corner and ended with Karrion Cross standing tall in the ring. Later in the show, Caleb Braxton was in the back with Imperium, and Gunther said it was an absolute disgrace and a lack of leadership that he doesn't have a worthy challenger for WrestleMania. 
And then it was later in the show they announced a fatal five-way for this week. Drew McIntyre, Sheamus, LA Knight, Karrion Cross, And Kofi Kingston was advertised for the match. And it looks like that may have to change. Because there may be an injury involved. Kofi Kingston, uh, per Brian Alvarez and Dave Meltzer, is said to have a leg injury. He suffered a leg injury in that segment. I can only imagine it was on the McIntyre dive out of the ring. Otherwise, I have no idea where this leg injury would have happened. But it's said to be a leg injury. We have no idea how serious it is. You know, hopefully he didn't tear out a knee or something. If it's not serious, he can still wrestle on Friday. If it is serious and he can't be cleared in time for the match, two very easy ways they can remedy this. Either put Xavier in there to replace him, or they could just take Kofi out and the fatal five-way becomes a fatal four-way. It's not as if Kofi was going to win the match anyway. So it doesn't have any impact here on what their plans are. I was thinking maybe they were setting up for a six-man ladder match. When these guys were first coming out, uh, before they announced the Fatal 5-Way, it looked like maybe they were setting up for a 6-Way ladder match at WrestleMania. I don't think the ladder stuff is needed, but I would understand if they wanted to do it, get more people on the show. I'm hoping they do a disputed finish in this 5-Way, or if it becomes a 4-Way, maybe a double pin on somebody, you know, watch it be LA Knight, with McIntyre and Sheamus each taking credit for the win. And then that leads to a triple threat match at WrestleMania with Gunther for the title. I still think that's the way to go. You do a triple threat, or you do Drew against Gunther on night one with the winner meeting Sheamus on night two. That's where Sheamus wins the championship. I mentioned that idea a few weeks ago as an option. I still feel the same way. Either of those ideas are fine with me. I think the triple threat would be better. I just think that would be such a fucking great match. But you get no argument out of me if you want to have two matches of, you know, two Gunther matches at WrestleMania this year. Either way, you end up getting to the same place. Whatever they do, it is just nice to see the Intercontinental title so sought after. One of the biggest changes of the Triple H era was this renewed focus on these secondary titles, and specifically the Intercontinental Championship. I mean, when was the last time that we could say that about that belt? The run that Gunther has been on has been very enjoyable. Again, this this idea that you know there's a record to be had if they... Want him to break the record. I don't care about the record. I care about the story. And the story is Sheamus finally winning the title at WrestleMania that has eluded him his entire career. We have a King of the Ring tournament coming up at the end of May that is just right there for Gunther to win. And he could be challenging for the top championship as early as Money in the Bank or SummerSlam. There are bigger things than the Intercontinental title this year in Gunther's future. Give Sheamus his moment to WrestleMania. By the way, I mentioned John Cena is returning tomorrow night. He just landed a new movie role as the voice of Rocksteady in the upcoming CGI animated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem movie that comes out on August 4th. Seth Rogen is going to be playing Bebop in the movie. I was so disappointed the first time I watched The Secret of the Ooze And I still like The Secret of the Ooze. That was the second live-action Ninja Turtles movie that came out many years ago. I was so disappointed the first time I watched that movie, expecting Bebop and Rocksteady. And instead, we ended up with Reza and Toka. (laughs) Because the creators wanted nothing to do with the cartoon. They didn't want anything from the cartoon in that movie. So that was the compromise. Instead of Bebop and Rocksteady, we'll do these two new characters. And I was so disappointed. Now we get John Cena and Seth Rogen. As the voices of Bebop and Rocksteady. I say we, like I'm going to watch the fucking thing. I still haven't watched the Batman from last year. 
But I'm looking at this cast list here. We got Jackie Chan is going to be voicing Master Splinter. Ice Cube will be the voice of Superfly. Brother, brother, there was a fly in the briefcase, brother. I assume it's not that Superfly. Who the hell is Superfly? I, th- I saw Superfly. I thought, is that Baxter Stockman? But then I looked at further down the list and it shows Giancarlo Esposito is going to be voicing Baxter Stockman. Gus from Breaking Bad is going to be Baxter Stockman. Post Malone is going to be Ray Filet. And Paul Rudd is going to be the voice of Mondo Gecko. Bring back Super Shredder, you cowards. The most badass looking villain ever. He's on screen for two minutes and he commits suicide by falling wood. Pisses me off to this day. Kevin Nash deserved a better ending than that. You know what else Kevin Nash deserves? He deserves to be using a VPN so that he can browse with confidence. This week's episode is sponsored by ExpressVPN. For those who don't know, data brokers are basically the middlemen when it comes to collecting and selling all those digital footprints you leave behind when you're browsing online. From those footprints, they can stitch together profiles for you that include your browsing history, your online searches, and even your location data. And then they'll sell your profile to a third party who delivers you a targeted ad. You might hear that and go, well, that's the internet, right? Well, it might not sound like a big deal, but those same data brokers may be selling your info to Homeland Security and the IRS. I don't need Mike Rotunda showing up at my doorstep. He gets enough of my money as it is. So I protect myself with ExpressVPN. Your IP address is sort of the gateway for these data brokers to tie all of your data back to you. And your unique IP address also reveals information about your location. When you're connected to ExpressVPN, your IP address is hidden. That makes it much harder for these brokers to figure out who you are. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your network traffic to keep your data safe from hackers on public Wi-Fi. That's why I have the ExpressVPN app downloaded on all my devices. All I do is tap one button to turn it on, and I'm protected. It's just that easy. So make sure your online activity and data is protected with the best VPN money can buy. Visit expressvpn.com slash solomonster right now and get three extra months free through my special link. That's expressvpn.com. Slash Solomonster, expressvpn.com, slash Solomonster to learn more. I watched the debut episode of the new Ring of Honor under Tony Khan, and it had some very good wrestling. Uh, that's what ROH has been traditionally known for, its in-ring product. The look of the show production-wise, and also I think as far as the setting, is an improvement over their old show under Sinclair. Similar to uh, NXT, in that they have that long screen on the wall that kind of wraps around uh, in the background across from the hard cam. It's similar to AEW Dark also because they film both shows at Universal Studios. But there's enough of a difference to where it doesn't look exactly the same. My biggest knock on the show is the length. Uh, but if you're just a fan that wants as much in-ring product as possible. Like give me more. Uh, you may feel differently. I didn't realize going in that it was going to be two hours long with ten matches. You know, this show does not need to be two hours long. Tony Khan might feel it has to be because Supercard of Honor is coming up at the end of the month and he's got a card to fill, so he has to set up matches. He has to get some stories going. Uh, Maybe he also feels it needs to be a longer show to justify the cost of Honor Club because, remember, people have to pay to watch this. But this show does not need to be two hours every week just starting out. And, you know, that's without commercials. 
Now, maybe they could build to it over time, but there's no there's no need for it to be that long. I know AEW Dark and Dark Elevation, they have like a gazillion matches every week, but this show does not need to be dark. Sending out Mark Briscoe in the opener made sense, since the Briscoes became the faces of the company for, for many years, but I could not care less about the trust busters. You know, so this, this, and this wasn't their only time on the show either. This was Mark Briscoe against Slim J, but... You know, he came back out later, and Smart Mark was there, and I, I just don't care. But still no update on the status of the tag team titles. Mark continues to carry his half of the belts to the ring with him. They had Zack Sabre Jr. on the show, defending his New Japan television title. That was a nice surprise. He beat Blake Christian, and during the match, when the camera was on him, Sabre was calling out Brian Danielson. He was calling himself the best technical wrestler. You know, Brian owes him a match. It was supposed to happen at last year's Forbidden Door show. There's always this year. I enjoyed the match with Kanosuke, Takeshita, and Josh Woods, and uh, so did the crowd. Takeshita can do no wrong. Uh, but Woods, I thought, was really good there. Willow Nightingale beat Lady Frost. I like Willow. She made the case after in her promo with Ian Riccoboni that she's been on a roll, even dating back to the previous regime, and she wants a shot at the Women's Championship. And Athena came out. Initially, she turned her down, but then later on, she accepted her challenge. And Claudio retained his Ring of Honor world title in the main event against A.R. Fox. Uh, I liked the Takeshita match a little bit more, but that match and this match were the highlights of the show. After it was over, Eddie Kingston walks out. The same Eddie Kingston who quit, quote-unquote quit, AEW. He quit in storyline this week. He quit because he's going to be working for Ring of Honor. And he got in the ring. He said, I'm an independent contractor with a 1099. I can show up wherever I want. He got, So he won't be working for WWE anytime soon with that attitude. He said he promised John Moxley that he would not fight Claudio in AEW, but this isn't AEW. This is ROH. And Claudio said nothing. He left. But Claudio against Kingston looks to be the title match for Supercard of Honor. This Thursday's show was already taped last weekend. And it has Wheeler Yuta defending his pure championship against Timothy Thatcher. We have Athena defending her women's championship against Willow Nightingale. And Samoa Joe will defend the ROH World Television title against Tony Deppin. Uh, they've also got Aussie Open against Tracy Williams and Rhett Titus. Dalton Castle will be in action. So we'll see. Uh, that's not 10 matches, although it may be 10 matches again anyway. We'll see. You know, it's tough for... Ring of Honor to carve out an identity for itself because for years it was the work rate promotion, right? More than WWE, more than Impact. If you wanted great in-ring wrestling, ROH was the place to find it. And ROH was the place where you really felt like you were watching the stars of tomorrow. ROH influenced the current style of wrestling that we see today in WWE and AEW. Whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing. Cannot deny the influence that Ring of Honor has had on today's product. And then when Triple H turned NXT into his own super indie and started raiding most of their talent, you know, black and gold NXT stole most of their thunder. Today, there's lots of places to find great pro wrestling. There's no shortage of great pro wrestling. AEW was born out of ROH in many ways. To look at the positives, if you're a longtime diehard Ring of Honor fan, I think Tony largely stayed true to the spirit of the product that you saw before. He made a few upgrades. Uh, Tony has said before he was a huge fan of Ring of Honor from their very first show. 
If anybody was going to try to stay true to what brought Ring of Honor to the dance, it would be Tony Khan. The commentary is very good from Ian Riccoboni and Caprice Coleman. In time, they may establish the show as something people need to go out of their way to see. It's only been one episode so far. I want to see how it is once they get some interesting stories going. If this is something I feel like I need to go out of my way to watch every week. I mentioned a few weeks ago that MLW had signed a deal to start airing its new MLW Underground show on the Reels channel. It was announced this week that Reels is coming to Peacock. In fact, it's already arrived as of March 1st. It's live linear feed and on-demand programming can now be found on Peacock, which also airs the WWE Network. And as such, there's one little quirk in the deal, which is that the channel will not stream Tuesdays at 10 p.m. because that is when Reels airs MLW. And since Peacock has a streaming deal with WWE, and WWE has exclusivity in the wrestling category, MLW is left out in the cold. Court Bauer, once again kicked in the balls by WWE. This dude needs to start wearing a cup. He's been kicked so many times. I don't know how or even if this might help MLW's case in their antitrust lawsuit against WWE, which was dismissed last month. They were given three weeks to file an amended complaint, which gives them until tomorrow. Tomorrow's the deadline for them to file, and Court Bauer has said they will file. But there was one alarming line in that Variety story that broke the news. Alarming if you are an MLW fan. If if you're not an MLW fan, you don't give a shit. But there was a line in there where it noted that MLW's run on Reels wraps up after 10 weeks. And it says, quote, making Reels available after that on Tuesdays at 10 p.m. That makes it sound like the Reels uh, TV deal for them was a trial run that ends after 10 weeks, which is not at all how MLW framed it when they made the announcement about a month ago. Now, Mike Johnson on PW Insider followed up on this, and he posted the update on uh, Friday, saying, We've had a number of emails from readers regarding the statement that Reels sent to PW Insider on MLW's status with the cable network, where they said, No decisions have been made by MLW or Reels, and we are both committed to a good outcome for MLW, its fans, and Reels. And Johnson says, Concern about the MLW underground status on Reels came about after Variety reported that the series would wrap up in about 10 weeks in their reporting about the Peacock deal. In speaking with sources, we are told the deal made between Reels and MLW was not a 10-week deal, nor was it designed to end next month. We are told that the deal was more of an open-ended one that would see MLW episodes delivered weekly, not something that had a finite ending date. All that being said, Reels' statement did little to assuage the idea that MLW couldn't be canceled or bumped to another slot. Reels had shown great interest in them immediately, plugging it all over their network with commercials and having their own social media team, live tweeting <clears throat> Excuse me, during the episodes. They aren't going to invest that much in a short-term entity, nor do I think MLW would have pushed the debut as hard as they did if they didn't feel they were standing on strong uh, footing with the network, but... This is also something that came about before the Peacock deal. And it could be that deal is financially worth Reels shoving MLW to the side in order to get more eyeballs on their other programming. And per The Observer, 
says, there have been reports this deal will last only through April 11th, which is its 10th episode, at which point MLW will be canceled by the station. Those in MLW are claiming that Reels has told them that is not the case, that they are not being canceled, and that Reels says they are very happy with the ratings so far. But even those in MLW can see that a TV show can be canceled at any time. So they cannot say anything past that they are under the impression that they were continuing. I think it's pretty shitty on the part of Reels because it puts MLW in a very awkward position now. And as Mike Johnson said, their statement did nothing to lay to rest any fears that MLW or its fans might have about the future of that show. And and they're only a month into their run there. Not exactly a vote of confidence. So yes, if you're MLW, if you're Corey Bauer, uh, I'm starting to sweat a little bit when it comes to what was supposed to be this big breakthrough deal for the company. And all of a sudden, we're going to be getting closer to that April 11th episode And you got to think there are people in that company right up to the very top who are wondering, hey, what's going to happen? What's going to be after that 10th episode? It's not good. NXT this week opened and closed with two really good matches. Nathan Fraser returning from injury to accept Wesley's Open Challenge for his North American Championship. As much as I think the Open Challenge gimmick in wrestling right now is overdone, and it is, and it's lazy... I like how on NXT they have guys fighting in the gorilla position to get to the ring first. It's it's always silly when somebody issues an open challenge for a title and you don't have people tripping over each other to rush to the ring to get the shot. So I like that. Excellent match with Lee and Fraser. uh, Reestablishes Nathan on the show. He's been gone for a while. Uh, And even in defeat, I thought he looked great. Wendy Chu became the latest victim of the NXT parking lot. She was found on the ground writhing in pain. This is a cover for a legitimate shoulder injury that she has. It's said not to be too serious. You know, when someone needs time off, you just let them go hang out in the parking lot. And that'll take care of them for a few months. A few weeks ago, JC Jane got to cut her first solo promo on Gigi Dolan. This week, it was Gigi's turn. She's still coming out to the toxic attraction theme, although when she got to the ring, she told the production truck to cut the music And that that was the last time we were going to hear that music. Which is too bad, because I like that music. She got personal, talking about how what JC did to her is not the first time she's had her head kicked in by somebody she trusted. The last person that betrayed her was her own mother. Her mom used to be uh, beat her and use her as a punching bag and cause her to run away from home. But she wanted to prove to her little brother that they could escape the cycle of pain and that she could make it in WWE. This is pretty dark stuff. And I've mentioned before the reality show that she was on as a teenager. That uh, my, my big fat American gypsy wedding. And some of the terrible things on that show. That show is garbage. Now you can never be sure what's real and what's not with these so-called reality shows. But my understanding is that a lot of a lot of that was real. And this was just kind of scratching the surface of some of the shit that she went through when she was younger. Uh, there's other stuff that I... Even darker stuff I won't get into. But... She and JC are going to have a match at Roadblock this Tuesday. She said, bring everything you have. It won't be enough because I will take every ounce of pain, suffering, and rage that I have built up inside of me to hammer the final nail in the coffin of toxic attraction. I thought for her first big solo promo, I thought she nailed it. You know, being part of an ensemble for so long, she never really had to go out there by herself and do this kind of promo. It added a new dimension to her character. 
you know, after being the mean girl for so long, she's going to be a babyface now. And I think she could end up being one of their top babyfaces. I, I like this more than the JC promo a few weeks ago. There's also a jailhouse street fight this Tuesday between Dijak and Tony D'Angelo, where the winner has to put their opponent in a jail cell and lock the door. Mako Satomura and Zoe Stark had a good match. Roxanne Perez sat in on commentary. She defends her NXT women's title against Mako at Roadblock. Man, I can't get that commercial out of my head. <laughs> the Mako commercial, double A, beep, beep, MCO. So that's going to be the match of Roadblock this Tuesday. Mako won with her uh, step-up rising axe kick. And then uh, she and Roxanne had a stare down in the ring. Tiffany Stratton pinned Katana Chance after Chance was distracted, her and her partner both, who was at uh, ringside for her match. They were distracted by Alba Fire and Isla Dawn, which allowed Stratton to score the win. And then after the match, there it is. The promo challenging the winner of this week's match between Roxanne and Mako to an NXT Women's Championship match. I have been waiting for that. If Stratton is your choice to be the next in line to challenge for the title or even to win the title, I don't understand why she needed a distraction to beat a tag team wrestler. Why couldn't she just beat Katana Chance on her own? Have Alba and, and you know, Isla go after them in a different way. Why, why did Tiffany need the distraction to beat a tag team wrestler, give her that credibility of being the number one contender because she, you know, since she came back, she has not done much to earn the spot. She should at least be able to rack up a clean win against one half of a tag team. But there's your stand and deliver match. going to be Roxanne Perez and Tiffany Stratton. They started strong and they ended strong with Carmelo Hayes against Tyler Bate. I, I said it all the time. In the past, when I first started watching him in NXT UK, and even ever since, Tyler Bate should not be as good as he is at 25 years old. He, he's like an old pro in there. And this wasn't even him at his best. He was holding back here. Hayes wins with the leg slice off the top rope, and that's a big win for him heading into Stand and Deliver and the inevitable showdown with Braun Breaker. That's been the biggest possible main event for NXT this entire time, and now is the right time to be doing it. Shawn Michaels is going to be in the ring with Grayson Waller on his talk show at Roadblock this Tuesday. Again, they are heavily teasing that Waller is going to be challenging him to a match. And he probably will, but Shawn ain't getting back in the ring for a match. I've been saying that I think uh, Dragon Lee gets tapped by Sean to wrestle Waller at Stand and Deliver, and I even saw Dragon Lee reply to one of Grayson's tweets to tell him, you talk too much. It is happening. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Let's get to some of your mailbag questions. You can email me, thesolomonster at gmail.com. Please include your name and where you are from. I should say, uh, I did see the Jake Roberts. I did finally last night, actually, see the Jake Roberts uh, A&E Legends biography. Uh, these are the 90-minute biographies that they do. I thought it was very good. 
Uh, it was a very slick production. They interviewed Jake's kids, his sons, his daughter, uh, DDP, Undertaker was all over this thing. And they covered his entire life and his career and his resurrection. So, you know, it's nice to see him have a happy ending because he was somebody who, you know, as as his uh, sister, because Rockin' Robin is his sister from another mother, uh, she made the comment in the documentary that people were just waiting, thinking that Jake Roberts was going to be the next in-memoriam graphic that, you know, went up at the beginning of a WWE show. I think everybody thought that. Everybody was just kind of waiting for the inevitable to happen. And I think it would have were not for DDP intervening. So his story has has had a happy ending to it, but it's it's a very dark story. And they didn't even get into all the the dirty details, but they they talked about his uh, piece of shit father. They talked about uh, you know, Grizzly Smith and the things that he did and him being a pedophile fuck and all of that stuff. Fuck that guy by the way. So it's it's kind of dark. Uh, you kind of have to know that going in, um, but it was it was it was very good. Again, if you could look past that to, to say that you enjoyed the story, sounds a little weird given some of the subject matter. But I, I thought it was well done. I did not see the Undertaker and Mankind Rivals episode. I I think I pretty much know how that uh, how that goes. Michael in Liverpool, England. Logan Paul is now facing his second top guy in a span of six months in a big pay per view match. First Roman Reigns and now Seth Rollins. If the match at Mania impresses like his last match did, do you see the next step for him being a run with the world title? Him versus Cody at SummerSlam seems to make sense to me. Way too early to be talking about Logan Paul as a world champion. There's plenty of other full-time people on that roster more worthy of that SummerSlam main event spot against Cody. If Cody were to win the title. That's still not a guarantee. But if Cody were to win the title, I mean, you could do Cody and Gunther, you could do Cody and Seth. There are any number of people who I would have in that spot ahead of Logan Paul, especially if there's still only one unified champion. I am not putting that title on Logan Paul in the next six months. I think that's ridiculous. Mike in Lakeland, Florida. If the WWE does decide to get Roman to a thousand days as champion, does Cody Rhodes not beating Roman at WrestleMania equal or exceed Lex Luger not winning the WWF title against Yokozuna at SummerSlam 93? I don't think it is. You know, Luger got the helicopter entrance on the Intrepid and the Slam or the Hip Toss on Yokozuna. He got a six-week bus tour all over the country. And then he got balloons at the end of the match for a countout win where he did not win the title. That's worse. And if Cody doesn't win at Mania, he'll still be the champion at some point. Lex never was. So I don't think it's as bad. Chris in Cortland Manor, New York. Buy or sell on the bigger star-making moment. Goldberg beating Hogan in the Georgia Dome in 98 for the big gold belt. Or Brock Lesnar beating The Rock for the undisputed championship at SummerSlam 2002. Hogan losing to Goldberg is, I mean, one of the biggest moments in wrestling. Absolutely, Goldberg beating Hogan in the Georgia Dome. Buy on that, sell on Brock beating The Rock. Brock beating The Rock was huge, but everybody was going down to Brock Lesnar back then. The Rock was selfless in that match. He did the job, he did, he did the honors for the new guy coming up, but remember, Brock didn't just beat Rock, he beat Hogan, he beat Flair, he beat RVD. He went on to beat The Undertaker. 
You know, he was the guy they strapped the rocket to and they were sending him up into the uh, stratosphere. But that moment of Goldberg jackhammering Hogan and pinning him in the wide pan out, you see 40,000 people losing their minds in the Georgia Dome because finally, right, the NWO, hopefully it didn't happen with Sting, right? We thought it did, but it really didn't. But now the NWO has been vanquished, or at least that's what people thought. Uh, that was one of the biggest moments in wrestling history at a time when wrestling was never hotter. 98, 99, right? I mean, that was the peak. That was the Monday Night War period, man. Rock losing to Brock is not nearly as big of a moment as what happened at the Georgia Dome that day. Dylan in Taiwan. What are your thoughts on WWE inducting the Guerrero family into the Hall of Fame? This would include... Mando, Hector, Eddie, and Chavo, and possibly Vicky. Mando and Hector did a lot for Lucha Libre in Mexico, while Eddie and Chavo helped popularize the style in the U.S. and around the world. Los Guerreros were definitely one of the most entertaining tag teams in WWE history, and even Vicky surprised many with how great she was on screen as a heel. Loved the show, been a listener since the beginning, started listening when I lived in Louisiana, and I still never miss a show, even as I am across the world in Taiwan. Well, thank you, Dylan. I'm very glad that you are still with me. I think a Guerrero's induction would be fine. They've been an influential family. You think of the great wrestling families, you think of the Hearts, and you think of the Von Erics, and you think of the Guerreros. Um, they put the Von Erics in the Hall of Fame, right? So there's no reason that the Guerreros can't get an induction. Vicky is actually leaving AEW in July when her contract is up. So she's going to be a free agent. And I don't know that the family would want her in with them, though. I, I don't see that happening. I don't see Vicky. If, if this were to happen, I do not see Vicky going in or maybe even wanting to go in uh, with the rest of the family. But I don't think they would want her in. Um, my understanding is that outside of Chavo and I think Eddie's mom, uh, the other members of the family, the brothers and their wives, uh, they didn't like Vicky. I know some of them used to trash her all the time online and, and talk about how she sold out to Vince McMahon after Eddie died. She's taken the high road. I don't think I've ever really heard her hit back at any of the family members. Uh, it just always came off to me very scummy for them to trash the man's widow publicly like that. Whether they felt they had good reason to do so or not, I thought that was very scummy on their part. You know, Vince McMahon brought in Vicky and paid her when I'm sure she could have used the money after Eddie passed away. He paid and he gave her a job. Or she he brought her in and gave her a job. And she had to go through a lot of shit during her time in the company. She was one of their biggest heels at one point. The woman was getting nuclear heat that the other heels on the roster would kill for. She was a heat magnet. But when she asked for her release the first time, I forget exactly which year it was. I want to say it was 2009 or 2010. As I remember it, she asked for her release. She went to Vince McMahon and said, look, I want to spend more time with my my kids because she was a single parent and her daughters were starting to get older. They were in their teens. And supposedly Vince hit the roof when she asked for it. Like, Like this was some sort of great betrayal. How could this woman do this? How could she ask for her release? And that's around the time they started humiliating her on television with the fat jokes and having people call her a pig and all that kind of stuff. I mean, this is from the same company that did the Piggy James stuff. I know this shouldn't be shocking. But, I mean, they put they put this woman in a fucking hog pen match with Santina. And for what? 
because she asked for her release? This was her uh, her punishment? I'd put her in the Hall of Fame for that alone, for all the shit they said about her and they made her do during that period. But I don't see her going in as part of any Guerrero induction. I don't, I don't think uh, they're on very good terms. I think if she does go in, she'll go in by herself. You can't deny that she was a key part of the show for a while. A former GM, managed the World Heavyweight Champion. She was all over their television. I mean, people who were featured a lot less than she was have been inducted into the Hall of Fame. But I don't see her going in with the rest of the family. And JR, straight out of Compton, California. How do you feel about receipts in wrestling? Has there been a moment where you felt like it was justified? And has there been a moment where you feel like it was completely uncalled for? As a wrestler, you are trusting your opponent to take care of you when you're in the ring. And they should have that same trust in you. Shit happens, right? Mistakes happen. People get dinged sometimes. In cases like that, there's a minor accident. I don't, I mean, I wouldn't think a receipt is needed. But then there are times where somebody gets tagged and, and then they get tagged again or somebody might be working a little too stiff or someone's being reckless. And in those situations, I think it's perfectly fine to pop them right back and let them know you need to dial that shit back. Chris Jericho told a great story years ago. I think it was on his, it had to be on his podcast about an incident with uh, Shane McMahon at one of the Survivor Series elimination matches where Shane, he, he, he tagged into the match and he was throwing his, his terrible punches and he caught Jericho in the face. But he didn't just catch Jericho in the face once. He hit him once. He hit him twice. He hit him three times. Ended up hitting him four times. To the point where Jericho rolled out of the ring. He was so angry, he ripped the, the I think, the front cover off the announce desk. And he's kicking the ring steps. He's pitching a fit. He gets back in the ring and, he, and Shane did it again. And Jericho told him, all right, look. Do a spot in the corner. So I think he threw Jericho into the corner. Shane comes in. And Jericho, he catches him with a boot right to the chest. He knocks him down. Jericho goes up to the top rope, and he caught Shane coming off <laughs> right in the face with a drop kick that knocked him loopy. And Shane was like, Is everything okay? And Jericho just told him, calm the fuck down. <laughs> so, like, in situations like that, I think it's fine to push back. Sometimes you have to send a message. Sometimes that's the only way to send a message when you're in the middle of a match. Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam that one year with Braun Strowman when he got kneed in the head. He came right back. He tagged him with a punch to the head that rocked him. Guess what? Braun didn't do that again. Message received. You know, in baseball, if the opposing pitcher hits multiple batters on the on the other team, you can bet the next time those two teams play, somebody's getting hit. I don't condone throwing at someone's head. You could kill somebody doing that. But if your teammates are getting hit, you know, some, someone's getting it in the back or the leg or the arm. It happens all, it happens in all sports. But then you see something like, you know, like Perry Saturn many years ago beating the crap out of Mike Bell, which was uncalled for, uh, or the worst, the worst that I've ever seen. And I had a lot to say about this on the podcast when it happened was that dipshit in Mexico who hit his opponent in the head with a cinder block and almost killed him. The guy had to undergo brain surgery. His opponent had no brain to begin with, which is why you do something like throwing a cinder block at someone's head just because they hit you with a couple of stiff chair shots. That's why he did it. That was his receipt. 
No, that's attempted murder is what that is, and he's lucky he didn't get locked up over it. He should have been blackballed from the wrestling business for doing that. Now, that's an extreme example, but that is the worst example of a receipt that I have ever seen. Anyway, keep sending in your questions. TheSolomonster at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter at Solomonster. I will be active on there tonight during the AEW Revolution pay-per-view. And whenever that show is over, and I say hopefully it's not too late, but I think we all know it will be. But when that show is over, I will be live on YouTube for the review. I hope you will join me there. And of course, for all of the streaming this week, no SmackDown stream on Friday because I have the uh, House of Glory show. And so anything big that happens on SmackDown on Friday, we will cover it in detail on the podcast next Sunday, which is episode 799. We are very close to 800. So I will see you next Sunday for 799. Be well. Stay safe. Enjoy Revolution tonight if you are watching, and I will see you live on YouTube when the show is over. Until then, take care, guys. The Solomonsters sounds off. They're teasing Brock Lesnar against Omos and Bobby Lashley against Bray Wyatt. When the better thing to do would be to simply put Bray and Brock and Bobby, Triple B, in a triple threat at WrestleMania. Individually, I don't see how these matches are going to be any good. Maybe Brock looked at this and said, fuck this, I don't want anything to do with this. I'll wrestle the big guy. Maybe that's what happened here. When Brock Lesnar realized that winning at Elimination Chamber meant wrestling Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania, he kicked Bobby in the dick. He intentionally got himself disqualified. Because now, that's Bobby's problem. He fucked over Bobby Lashley at elimination. Brock Lesnar may be the smartest man in the room. The Solomonster sounds off. Each week, bursting with content. Podcasts, predictions, reviews, YouTube live streams, and more. Become a channel member for perks and follow the Solomonster on Twitter at Solomonster. 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 Solomonster sounds off.